Well, just a few days ago now, in the middle of this past week, many of us set aside a solemn day to mark the beginning of a season of lament. And on that, really that worldwide day of penitence, we were reminded of the hard truth of our mortality and the hard truth of our impending return someday to the dust. It was, uh, in many ways, an uncomfortable day, a jarring day, but a necessary day. And the solemn day of penitence to which I'm referring was, of course, my 40th birthday. (laughs) Terrible day, just kidding. Remember that you are dust. (laughs) To dust you shall return. So, but seriously, we resume our journey this morning uh, through the book of John, uh, chapter four. So I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to please open there with me. John chapter four, as we continue in this encounter between Jesus and the woman of Samaria. I hope that, like me, you've been encouraged by God's word, by the good news of the gospel that we have heard so far in the first half of this chapter. It's amazing that just in 26 verses, there's already been enough to show us over and over and over again how amazing God's grace is just in 26 verses so far. It's good for us to be reminded, whoever we are, whether we've been walking with the Lord for many, many decades or not for very long at all. It's good to be reminded for all of us that as we see in this story, the farther you think you are from God, the farther he'll reach for you. The the faster you think you can run from God, the faster he'll run after you. It's a wonderful reminder here if we have eyes to see it in John 4 that wherever you are, Wherever you are, whoever you are, even if you're in a messed up, dysfunctional, broken place like Samaria, and even if you're a desperate sinner like the woman of Samaria, Jesus will come for you. We've seen all of this so far in this chapter. We've talked about this, that this is an intentional choice by Jesus to do all of this. It's not a coincidence. It's not happenstance. Jesus intentionally goes for the heart of a broken place, for the heart of a broken person. And Jesus has slowly, gently, but clearly revealed to her and to us the absolute insufficiency of worldly wells so that Jesus would reveal to her and to us the absolute supremacy of the true and perfect well that's standing right in front of our very eyes. And that's where we left off two weeks ago with Jesus's incredible revelation of himself, his identity. And he responded uh, in response to her. In verse 25, she had said, I know Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. She's leaning into him. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So where we left off was in verse 26. Jesus answers her and Jesus thunders, I am who speaks to you. 
So now the story continues in verse 27. Look with me at verse 27, just the first half of this verse, because this sets up the angle that we will approach this short section of this story through. Verse 27, the first half, just then Jesus' disciples came back and they marveled. Let's stop there for a moment. Because that's the angle we're going to approach this story, the angle of marvel, marveling. The disciples uh, we last heard were sent into town to run errands, and now they're back. They come back onto the scene, and John the author doesn't just say that the disciples noticed what was happening or observed what Jesus was doing. John the author writes very intentionally, and it's okay for us and appropriate and necessary for us to squeeze every last drop out of John that there is. And so John intentionally says they marveled. And that's important because for the gospel writers, that's a word that's often used in response to Jesus working a miracle. Both Matthew and Mark and Luke say that in response to a miracle of Jesus, whether it was the casting out of demons or the rebuking of a storm, that they marveled at a miracle. And so what do you know? John, the author of this gospel says, the disciples came back and they marveled. This shows us what category we can place this story in. What category we can place any encounter with Jesus in, the category of miracles. So we can look at this story through that lens that he, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to talk with this woman. He had to have this conversation with her because he had to perform a miracle in this woman's life. Jesus wants to perform miracles. That's why he came. And our response, we need to just address this briefly in our text, as his disciples should not be just to observe or notice it. We can, we can fall into this trap as Jesus' disciples sometimes. And oftentimes in the Gospels, we will see the disciples fall into this trap. We can sometimes say of Jesus, oh yes, I've seen this movie before. Or, oh yes, I've read John chapter 4 before. It's, it's a good thing for us to invite the Holy Spirit to draw us to be captivated by Jesus again, not to grow bored with him. And the reason is because we believe it's true that Jesus is alive. We want to marvel at the work of Jesus in scripture because what Jesus does here in John 4, he still does today. So with that, let's marvel first at just simply what Jesus does. What Jesus does. Verse 27 again, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Now, of course, Jesus knows what they're thinking. We've established this already in John. He's aware of what they're thinking. They also must have talked about it later because now John tells us what they were thinking, but no one said it. <laughs> there are plenty of examples where the disciples say stupid things in the Gospels. In this moment, they actually had the wisdom to keep their mouths shut. No one says what they're thinking. And it's good for us to notice this here because here the disciples get it right. They 
see that while they can have questions for Jesus, they should not second guess Jesus. They can have questions for Jesus, they should not second guess Jesus. This is a a big distinction to make for us as disciples and we won't always get it right, it's hard. But the difference lies in whether or not we're marveling at Jesus as our master or seeing Jesus as our equal. When we see Jesus as our equal, like oftentimes the disciples do in the Gospels, then we're prone to fall into the trap of second-guessing him. Why are you doing this, Jesus? Why aren't you doing that, Jesus? You know you really should be doing that, Jesus. Why did you heal this person, Jesus, but not heal that person, Jesus? Jesus treasures our questions. Our questions are precious to him. But we can often fall into the trap of second-guessing Jesus. And where that comes from is the lack of marveling at Jesus. So like the disciples here in verse 27, a reminder to us here before we go any further into the story again, to marvel at Jesus as the master They didn't understand why he was talking with a Samaritan woman, but they at least in this moment understood that he was Jesus and he could do whatever he wanted. And that's enough for them here. This reminds me of uh, a C.S. Lewis book that I used to read with my kids called The Horse and His Boy. Many of you have, I'm sure, read this. And there's a scene in the book when one of the characters asks Aslan, the great lion, why he had done certain things with another character in the book named Erebus. And in response to his question, Aslan says, child, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. You may question what Jesus is up to when you arrive on the scene somewhere like the disciples did. They had questions. What he's up to in your life, uh, your child's life, a friend's life. It's okay to not understand. A disciple of Jesus can have questions. A disciple of Jesus can often get it wrong. Jesus knows when you don't understand. The longer you are with Jesus, the more he will help you start to not second guess. Like Aslan, like a lot like Aslan, Jesus will often tell you your story, but not someone else's story. So he'll help us marvel at his work, what he does. That's what we see here in verse 27. Simple reminder for disciples to marvel at what Jesus does. He is our master, not our equal. We may not understand what he's doing, but he's Jesus, and so he can do it. So now the story continues and the camera shifts away now again from the disciples and the camera focuses back on the woman of Samaria. And now we're invited here to marvel at what Jesus takes. So this verse is an invitation to stop and appreciate what Jesus takes. Look with me at verse 28. It's one short verse but there are treasures of the gospel here. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar 
and went away into town and said to the people, she left her water jar. Okay, John. Okay, author John. What a significant detail you have put in this story for us. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus takes when he draws us to himself, when he saves us, when he gives us new life. Okay, John, she leaves her water jar. So marvel for a moment at what Jesus takes here. He's pursued this woman. He's won her over. He has turned her whole world upside down. He's worked a miracle of new birth in her life. She's been made new. And the miracle that God works is shown to us in the fact that he takes the old away. She leaves her water jar. Jesus takes the old away. This woman came looking for worldly water. Jesus offered her living water, and it was so much better. <laughs> this woman came looking to quench her physical thirst. Jesus offered to quench her spiritual thirst. This woman came with a jar that could only hold old water. Jesus came to her, pierced her heart, and offered her new life. And so she doesn't have any use for the old jar anymore. This old jar represents her old longings, her old life, her old thirsts. It's a beautiful picture for us, a reminder that when your life is changed by Jesus, he takes the old away from you. Your old way of living, your old way of satisfying yourself. To use a more modern example, Jesus replaces your old operating system. He gives you a brand new operating system. Paul wrote about this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Read it with me. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's why she leaves her water jar here. <laughs> because Jesus has taken the old away, and behold, she's running in a new direction. Behold, the new direction has come. The new life has come. The new her has come. He takes the old away. The other significant sign here is that Jesus has taken her burdens away. Jesus takes your burdens away. This was a jar that she had clung to so tightly. You can picture it, especially when she was unsure of what this man was up to. You're asking me for a drink. You can picture her kind of pulling back in shock, clinging to that water jar. It had brought her temporary satisfaction, but it was now a burden to her. See this. She doesn't need it anymore. But notice with me, an important detail, she doesn't just throw the jar away. She leaves it with Jesus. She trusts her burden to Jesus. It's a miracle that Jesus can perform in your life, and he's happy to perform this miracle day after day, moment by moment with you, if you would like him to. The more you see Jesus for who he is, 
the more time you spend with him, the more you meet him at your worldly wells, then the more you trust him with your burdens. What are you carrying around with you in your hands or on your shoulders that you actually don't need to carry anymore? You're known, you're loved, you're forgiven. What won't you let go of now? Jesus will meet you where you are like he did with her. He'll show you how you're settling for less like he did with her. He'll offer you himself, he will every day, and his grace over and over and over again. And he'll take your burdens away. Now, it may be hard for you. Some of our burdens become quite precious to us. But in the words of the old hymn by Queen Elsa in Frozen, let it go. (laughs) Let it go. Want me to sing it for you? (laughs) Now, Seriously, you might not be able to trust anybody else with your burdens, but you can trust Jesus. You've carried that water jar with you for decades. You can let go of it. We see this here in verse 28. Jesus takes the old away, he takes her burdens away, and he also, praise God, takes her shame away. It is gone. Watch this. Jesus has totally taken her shame away. John tells us she went away into town and said to the people, to the people, the very people she had been avoiding, the very same people she had been ashamed to be seen by, the very same people, and I'll use this word intentionally and not to be offensive. If it is offensive, forgive me. To be seen by the very same people who had considered her a whore. She goes to those same people set free from her shame. Jesus had worked a miracle in her life. We've seen it happen in front of our eyes through his knowledge, his love, his forgiveness, new birth. Her shame is gone, totally gone. And now she has a new identity because of him. She goes into town, not as the woman that had left the town. See this. She's going back into town as a new person, new identity. The very people she had been avoiding, she now runs to. I love to hear the soundtrack for this. What was, the, what was the music like as she ran back into town, set free from her shame? Marvel at what Jesus takes. He's taken the old away. She's free. He's taken her burdens away. She's free. He's taken her shame away. She's a new person. This is the great exchange of grace. Great exchange of grace. He gives us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise 
instead of a faint spirit. That we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 61 here at a well. Now look with me at verses 29 through 30. Marvel at how Jesus transforms. It's the miracle of salvation. God help us not become bored with this or used to this. Numb to this. Wake us up, God. How Jesus transforms. She said to the people, come see a man. Not come believe a man, notice. Not yet. They'll need time. They'll need to believe on their own. That'll come. Her invitation, simple invitation of a a redeemed sinner, come see. (laughs) Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. What a miracle Jesus has performed in her life. Jesus has absolutely transformed this woman's life. She was an outcast. Now she's an evangelist. She had been running from those people. Now she's running to those people. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus came to this woman who had been told by the world and had been told by the devil that she was useless. Jesus has called her name. Jesus has won her heart, and Jesus has said, no, you are not useless. You are useful. How Jesus transforms. She isn't defined by her mistakes anymore, praise God. She isn't defined by her failures anymore or by her shame anymore. She's defined by Jesus and Jesus alone. And if anybody has a problem with that, they can take it up with him. (laughs) From the moment you meet Christ until forever, Jesus and Jesus alone tells you who you are. We sang it earlier. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Jesus commands my destiny. Jesus commands my destiny. Now, you can expect that the devil will come to you, like I'm sure he did with the woman of Samaria, and he'll try to rub your face in your old sins and your old failures and your old shame. He'll accuse you. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's the accuser. And he'll say you're useless, but he's a liar. The devil is a liar. Don't listen to him. Because Jesus is a redeemer. Because of Jesus' redemption, 
because of his redemptive work on the cross, because of the redemption purchased for you by his blood, because of the redemption sealed for you in the resurrection, those very same sins that once defined you, and those very same sins that the devil will stupidly and predictably use to try to shame you in the redemptive, nail-scarred, resurrected hands of Jesus, those very same sins are now transformed into your testimony. Revelation 12, 11. They have conquered Satan. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Jesus has given this woman a testimony. Jesus has given you a testimony. And you overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. And this is what a gospel testimony sounds like. It is not, let me tell you how perfect I am. (laughs) It is not, let me tell you what an exemplary life I've lived. That is nonsense. Here's what a gospel testimony sounds like. Let me tell you how great a sinner I am so I can tell you how great a savior Jesus is. The great I am met me at a well. So come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? (laughs) You bet this is the Christ. Who else can change a life like this? Who else can raise the dead like this? Who else can turn the water into wine like this? Open the blinded eyes like this? Open the deaf ears like this? Who else can work a miracle like this? Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can work this kind of miracle in her life and in your life. Believe it. Marvel. Marvel at the miracle of grace of Jesus. You are not your shame. You are not your shame. You are your saviors. You are not useless. You are useful. That's your story. And that's your song. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the woman of Samaria. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, your living word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our living hope. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Christ in us. So, Father, as we bow before you now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would once again point us to Christ. 
and to do it in us over and over and over again. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen.